So, one, thank you so much for taking the time out to have a conversation with me for the, this newsletter. Of course, my pleasure. Um, can you tell me about where you grew up and what you ate? Um, I grew up in Atlanta, Georgia, um, and I ate regional food, fast food, and food um, from boxes. Right. So, um, regionally, my father and my maternal grandmother um, are and were respectively um, really excellent regional cooks. Um, so my whole repertoire of like southern dishes, southeastern dishes, I guess, um, is really strong. And I, and I grew up eating excellent versions of things like uh, fried catfish, fried chicken, cornbread, macaroni and cheese, coleslaw, braised greens, cakes, stuff like that. Right. Um, and then, but also, you know, I was like a baby with a very, very working class mom and dad, and we also ate in drive-thrus, and um, we ate, uh, you know, Pop-Tarts, and in elementary school, we ate Lunchables, um, so it was like a confluence of, of all those things. Right, right, right. And how did you end up working in food and specifically in food media? Um, working in food, um, the first, it's only the uh, only um, industry I've ever, I guess media second, but prior to media, I had only worked in food. My first real job, um, I was 15, I worked at an ice cream shop for my summer job, scooping ice cream, and then um, I, the summer after that, I worked at a pretzel shop, making pretzels. Um, and then when I went to college, uh, my freshman year, um, I was at the University of Oregon, in Eugene, Oregon, and um, I had to get a job. Freshman year, uh, I was working at a little cafe there, a vegetarian cafe, um, that also had a little wine retail situation. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, uh, I ended up dropping out of college, sticking with that job, going to culinary school, and uh, kind of transitioning my whole life. But I always loved food. Um, I would say, like, starting in high school. Um, for instance, when I was a senior in high school, I would skip school to um, smoke weed with my friends, watch Julia Child and John mm-hmm. and or read one of their books, and do wild shit, like make some plays. Mm-hmm. Like, I vividly remember our idea of a good time was cooking, um, and when we could afford it, uh, eating out at nice restaurants in Atlanta. Um, so it was always, even as a teenager, it was like my, it was part of the theater of my life and entertainment and interest. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, after college, I mean, honestly, I couldn't afford to stay in college is what happened. Um, and I was like, for one year of college, I can go to culinary school, and I already know I love food, and I can make a career out of it, um, so dropped out of college my freshman year, went to culinary school in Portland, studied hospitality and restaurant. 
was who dropped and interned, uh, or I guess stage in a kitchen at a country club. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was just constantly working, constantly immersing myself in all things eating and drinking. And then um, when I was 20, as part of that curriculum, uh, we took a wine appreciation class, like an introduction to wine class. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really, really got deeply into wine um, as a young person. Uh, I became a sommelier at 21, and that really um, kind of un- unlocked, I think, uh, a big worldview in my life um, in terms of provenance and, and agriculture um, and the relationship to uh, agriculture and provenance to, like, our culture, society, and um, what, like, just kind of who we are fundamentally as humans. Right. And... I mean, I feel like that's so clear in Whetstone, both in the magazine and in the Points of Origin podcast, this um, recognition of these relationships between what we consume and what it means and where it comes from. Um, And, uh, you know, why did you launch Whetstone, the magazine? You know, why, like, what kind of void did you feel in, in food writing or in food media that, um, that, that, you know, led to its creation. It's funny. I thought you were going to ask me that. So <laughs> I went back and I looked at, um, my, uh, original Kickstarter from 2016 for Whetstone. Um, it was a failed campaign. We raised 17000 out of $50,000 goal and it failed like a huge letter moment. Um, but basically, the I mean, where I was then, and it is exactly uh, where it is now. And I'm actually quite proud of how um, kind of on target we stayed with the original vision, which at the time, um, I'm paraphrasing the language, but it basically said, you know, we're in the midst of a global food revolution, but the media is only talking about uh, the chefs. Mm-hmm. There's no mention of uh, origin. There's no mention of farmers or agriculture. Um, this is a massive void. Someone needs to fill the void. This is our vision for Whetstone. Um, and really talking about origin um, as an opening for much more profound um, belief systems around, uh, you know, environment, around racial justice around, um, you know, building empathy. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think we've always looked through origin as the prism of, um, like, the most, especially food origin, as the, the prism of the most meaningful way to engage with other humans and to um, just engage with food in general. Right. And and by 2016, and you know, people would say that the farm-to-table movement had taken off, and that farmers markets were huge. Um, you know, at least in, in various urban and suburban areas, were a big um, discussion point in the food world. But how how was that conversation that was already happening? How was it lacking to you? Um, it was massively lacking, and I feel. Uh, and felt really qualified to speak on that movement that you're talking about because I was working.
look like from our end, from, you know, me being both a part of um, the, the disciple as a manager at a farm-to-table restaurant, which is the descendant of Zumi, which is the descendant of Cape Panese. Um, and, I, and I covered it exhaustively. I mean, really, the precursor to Whetstone was a, a project called Nopalize um, that I wanted to help our diners, you know, more deeply connect to the people who were growing their food, mm-hmm. um, because there was a there was a major disconnect in the ideology of what we were talking about at Line Up and Tasting. This is the farmer mm-hmm. comes from this. I'd be like, has anyone like could y'all out uh, Yolo County on a map? Right. They're like, no. So it's like they're memorizing all the names of these farms, all the names of these different heritage. I'm like, do you have no? There's still no relationship really to the land. There's no relationship to the politics of the land. There's no relationship to the people who are committed and sacrificed growing on the land. So you know, I started a kind of in-house media company um, that was really committed both in bringing people on trips, but also you know, in uh, in content being made. Uh, to try to close that gap. So mm-hmm. I've, I've always, um, you know, I guess in something my own way been uh, a critic of uh, trying to bridge social uh, justice and food justice um, with my, it feels like almost innate education around fine uh, dining and European uh, hospitality standards. Right. And I've, I've been thinking about this a lot, how, I mean, I'm always thinking about this a lot, I guess, but the, that people view, you know, this disconnect between farmers and, and, and the land and not, not recognizing that those connections, they don't, they don't view that as an, a justice issue. They don't view these things as connected to justice or to politics. They, they view these things as sort of, um, you know, snobbery. How do how do you have the conversation? And I think you're very good at this, and I think Whetstone is good at this, and the podcast is good at this, as presenting these things not as a point of, of elitism, but as a point of um, culture. I don't know. Like, so how do you how do you bridge those gaps, and how do you think more writers or more people creating media in food? can, you know, talk about where things come from and why that's important without alienating people? And also, why does it alienate people to talk about where food comes from? <laughs> I think that was like three questions. But. Yeah, I'll try. Um, <laughs> I mean, I think that the truth is alienating because it's frightening. Right. It's, the truth is very confrontational, you know, and in the truth, people are implicated. Um, and who wants to be implicated? Right. Um, when you start talking about power and privilege, it completely sullies what you think is a pristine liberal worldview of just want to garden and live on the land. Like, excuse you, talking to me about access issues in urban communities, mm-hmm. you know? Like, no one wants to go there. Um, but the problem is uh, the analysis completely falls apart. Um, from a from a justice issue, from our perspective, from a, a justice perspective, the analysis falls apart if then you ask the question: Do you believe that everyone has equal access to right. the same food that you do? And if they say yes, 
they immediately undermine everything that they're purporting because what they should be purporting is actually equitable access to the same quality of food that they eat. But that's not what they're purporting. That's not the culture that the, the media report. That's not the message that gets through. Right. And so we end up talking about like whatever the fucking egg spoons and like whatever clips come from people like Alice Waters and lost in all of that is like her. I mean, this isn't a critique. I don't mean to critique her. I'm right. actually, I, I love shape knees and I, I think of it as more of, a, of an institution. And honestly, this woman is in her mid seventies and I don't feel comfortable really going that hard on anybody <laughs> You know, so right. it's like, it's not about her. But because, in a way, her name and her um, legacy have become synonymous with it, it is a really good um, kind of clarifying example of uh, the disassociation between the ideals of the Black Table Movement um, and actually what's lacking in practice. And then around um, the question of origin, you know, we have been saying from day one that there is so much power in origin. We've been trying to shift our readership and other people in the media to think more critically about origin um, because we feel like that is where our power lies and that, that gives us so much range um, to talk about food from a perspective of astronomy and dining and pleasure and enjoyment because we are connected to that history um, just in the same way we're connected to the history that understands the politics of land mm-hmm. and in understanding land and agriculture, that means that we understand that there has always been a disenfranchised class and always a ruling class associated with that land. Right. And prior to that, there were, uh, there was, you know, many different indigenous tribes. So like, if you, if you, even if it's pre-colonial, there's still, you know, inter-tribal politics around land, you know, there's no disassociation. So um, for us, because Again, we kind of have this origin uh, filter. It allows us to give the same verb, the same energy, the same scrutiny um, when we're, you know, speaking more, I guess, in overtly political tones um, or subjects versus, like, the things that we talk about, like natural wine or fine dining restaurants um, that might otherwise feel out of context without uh, editors, um, people like Layla, who, you know, helps us with a kind of editorial eye, making sure that um, we're, we're consistent in our uh, analysis and, and sharing the, the full spectrum of the experience of food. And we think our um, connection to history and our appreciation for history um, allows us to do that better. And we think that if more people in food media did that, then food media on the whole would be a lot better. Yeah. Um, and you're really good at it. commentary like without understanding the connection to the 
I mean, yeah, I would, I would hope that the, the current moment is, is forcing people to make better considerations of these, but, um, I, I hold, I, we, I hope, I hold little hope, but, um, one of the things that I think Whetstone is so good at versus other magazines is being global. Um, and so I wanted to ask how you, how you achieved that and, and why that was a goal as well, you know, to, to really have people from different places around the world writing about their own land, their own cultures, their own foods. Um, because, you know, so many magazines act as if that, that is an impossibility to do. Um, and, and you prove that it's not, but how, how did you go about achieving that? Um, well, we really wanted to do that. That's something else that was in our, I remember that being part of our original language and vision as well. Um, because the same kind of, uh, accountability that we're, that we're speaking on. And I mean, we have a long way to go. Right. Like, I'm not saying that we have, um, by any means arrived, like, uh, believe me, I'm poking more holes than anyone else is on, on the work that we're making, but, um, it didn't feel consistent. Uh, for us to talk about food as part of a larger global human history and then have it be like focused on New York, the Bay Area, right. and like a couple of cities in between. Um, so we had to commit to a global uh, platform and a, and a global message to begin with because we were already kind of on that, uh, again, just in our connection to um, the kind of stories that we were wanting to tell. Um, so more like, you know, I guess behind the scenes, um, what happened is we, you know, the first edition that we made, um, we reached out to people in different parts of the world that either we already had a relationship with, um, or in some cases had just traveled there. Mm -hmm. Um, and we created kind of a stylistic standard and aesthetic for Whetstone, what we were trying to make. Um, both in form, but also like in content. Uh, yeah, like so aesthetic. Um, and I think that once people saw the first edition of Whetstone, um, it became really evident what was missing, and it kind of uh, proved like what our promise of being different would look like in real life. Um, and I think more than like the public per se, uh, the biggest, the most like enthusiastic response that we got was from other um, creative people who um, really appreciated uh, the work that we put into sourcing and placing the photographs, um, who appreciated the original artwork that we commissioned, um, and really just like holding um, uh, art, I guess, at a really high uh, standard alongside our, our messaging um, and alongside the content. So, um, once we created that first edition, slowly but surely, we have been the beneficiary of mostly inbound um, pitches from people in other parts of the world, usually accompanied with a message that says, uh, I'm so glad you exist. Like, uh, I've, always, I've been wanting to place this article, but I haven't found a magazine that would make it make sense. Um, like, I'm not even, it's not a, it's just like, there, people are expressing what we were feeling from the very beginning, you know, when we published people uh, in Iran or in 
Palestine in a way that doesn't make them feel tokenized, but like part of a larger global fabric. Like that's that's what we were trying to do from the beginning. Um, and I think people who recognize that, especially people who are holding stories that are dear to them, um, have offered us that that trust as we've continued to, to grow and publish more people. Amazing, amazing. Um, I'm gonna ask you my my final Final question. <laughs> um, but uh, so, for you, is cooking a political act, and if so, in what way? I mean, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, of course. I mean, so one of the it's been a huge shift for me because the first couple of years um, of getting. Webstone off the ground. I had to spend so much time on the road, meeting with contributors, um, speaking, selling the magazines at events, on and on. Um, and so this is the most that I've really slowed down um, and been idle and, uh, you know, years. And it's been so highly um, uh, activating for me, like politically, because immediately as I'm in Atlanta, I'm like connected to this amazing network of black farmers mm -hmm. who are growing food on rooftops, who are growing food on the west side of Atlanta. I'm like, man, we have California produce that tastes like fucking California out here being grown by beautiful black women whose skin is like glistening, growing the best kale I've ever seen in my life. I'm like, this is fucking glorious you know mm -hmm. like i this is the this is the politics of food. this is almost like the vision of food system um that i hope for where restaurants are thinking about how to stay front line uh workers uh in in medicine you know uh, they're thinking about i mean not all of them but like in theory the, the beacons that we're talking about you know right. they're um looking at how they can serve uh, as food hubs in a completely different way um, than than just you know serving uh, multi course tasting menus that no one can afford in that gentrified neighborhood you know so like this is um, everyone who's cooking at home right now who is uh, making supply chains more cumbersome everyone who listened to the daily and heard a gross story about you know, what's happening at uh, meat facilities, like, and they don't want to buy meat, like, that is very um, political, whether or not they are aware of, of the politics of that decision to not purchase based on the media that they consumed, right? So, mm -hmm. like, whether, I think this is, we, we talk about this, but, like, whether or not people are uh, conscious um, of their, their eating or cooking being a political act. Um, it's always that. Uh, it's always a vote for a more corporate food system, a more industrialized food system, a more harmful food system, or it's the opposite. And, I'm, and I don't mean to assign any moral judgment around that um, because so much has been done to make uh, a, a completely... Uh, morally pure purchase impossible, um, but I'm just saying more matter-of-factly that you know every time we 
buy food, it's either one of those things or the other thing. Right. Um, so cooking for me has really centered um, the part of it that is political and has to be a lot more deeply connected to um, black folks growing food in Atlanta. And like, that's a community that really matters to me that I'm happy to be, um, you know, back in touch with. And that would have never happened, or not never happened, but, you know, I'm kind of in Atlanta unexpectedly cooking and mm-hmm. I would have been God knows where, you know. Um, so uh, I do feel really, um, like, politically connected in a way that I have, or I guess have not um, in a long time. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for, for chatting with me. Yeah, sorry, that was kind of um, no, I love it. <laughs> you are an editor, so do what you do. I'll do it. <laughs> I'll see what I could do. I think it's great.